There is a time in every teenager's life, right, after they've gotten their permit, they get their license, the next thing they want to do, I know the next thing I wanted to do was to buy a car, right? To have something that's your own, drive around, do your thing. This morning's story, we're going to follow a young man who that's exactly what he wants to do. He says, Dad, I'm old enough. I want to buy a car for me. Dad, I've been saving money just like you taught me. I haven't been spending it just like you taught me. I've been very responsible like you taught me. Dad, I've even researched. I found a car that's good for me. It's a used car. But here was the catch. The catch is he is a minor and cannot get a car on his own. He needs his dad. Apparently, I looked this up, apparently here in Florida, you can be a minor and get a car, but that's because everything seems to be legal in Florida. This story doesn't take place there. I, I had to look it up so that my story was accurate. So this story does not take place in Florida. Just keep that in your mind. And so he began to ask his dad, Dad, will you go with me and help me get the car? And the dad would look at him and say, uh, no, it's no, not today. Okay, dad, will you please, let's go get the car today. No. What about now? No. Dad, can I get a car at all? No. But dad, I did everything you wanted me to do. I've been responsible. I've been saving. I've been, I've been doing the right things, God. How come you keep saying, no, it's not fair? And he's upset with his father. And finally, after, after days and days of dad, please, dad, please, the father then also gets upset and says, I said no. Now they're both upset. No can be a hard word to hear. When you are young and you finally start to develop this crush for somebody else and you, and you build up the courage to talk to them and say, hey, I like you. Do you like me back? And they say, no. That's a hard word to hear. Now you're in college, you've been studying, you've been working hard. Somehow you got through financial aid and you have just been grinding, trying to get your work done, trying to get things in on time and you're waiting to hear back from your academic department, did I get into the program? No. No is a hard word to hear. Now you've graduated, praise God. You're out into the workforce. Your dream job awaits and you apply and you get through the first round and the second round of interviews and you're praying and you're hoping and they call you and you know it's them because you've saved the number and you answer it, hi, hello, they, oh, it's nice to meet you. Or it's nice to hear from you again. And you say, did I get the job? And they say, no. One of the worst no's you can hear is when your loved one is sick, they're in the hospital, wherever, and you ask the doctor, doctor, will they live? And they tell you no. No is a hard word to hear. And so we begin to wonder, is it possible to be a Christian, 
to have a Christian walk, living the lifestyle of a Christian, and have no be a word that you hear. This morning, we're going to read about uh, one of the many stories of David. David is one of my favorite uh, Bible characters in the Bible. Um, I just I love to read up on him because I feel like David went through a little bit of everything, right? There were times that he was righteous. There were times he was not righteous. There were times he was on the mountaintop and times that he was lower than anybody else you could think of. David, he started out, he was a shepherd, right? In the times of the Bible, shepherds were necessary, but not necessarily looked on uh, favorably, right? David had a bunch of brothers. He was the youngest. He was the shortest. Amen, right? <laughs> I love that guy. People looked at him and just wrote him off, right? And so one day, one day, this, this prophet shows up, Samuel, and, and he has a word for the family. He says, there is the new king here in this family, I need to meet everybody. And so they go through all the brothers. And finally, Samuel's like, this can't be it. And so, well, I mean, there's David. So they bring him in. He is anointed king. Mind you, there is already a king, but he has lost the favor of God. And so that creates tension. And because of that tension, he's thrust into what we would call as like a warrior king. Right? He begins to run for his life, having to defend himself. Then when he does become king, everyone wants to challenge it. And it becomes difficult. He becomes a warrior king. It really is what you would call like a rags to riches story, right? From nothing to everything like that, right? And we get to, we're going to be today in 1 Chronicles chapter 17. 1 Chronicles chapter 17. We're going to read the first two verses together. Now, again, we've, that was the crash course of who David is. Right now, David is, at this point in the story, he has defeated his enemies. And he's living in a time of peace, something that he's not necessarily used to. He has some extra time on his hands, and he begins to think. And so we read together. It says, now when David lived in his house, David said to Nathan the prophet, behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. And Nathan said to David, do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. We need to know something right off the bat here. That what David is wanting to do, right, to build a temple for the Lord, right? Because they believe, we believe that the Lord himself, God himself sat at the mercy seat. That when you went to the tabernacle, there was God. Right. God was with his people. And so David begins to look around at how nice. Right. He says, I live in a cedar house. That was at the time like cedar was the wood to have in your house. Right. He's looking around saying, like, look at everything I have and look how we treat God. You have to know right off the bat, this is a very noble thing that David wants to do. It's the right thing to do. 
because what's true today was true back then, that actions will speak louder than words, right? If you say to me, I value my family, Pastor. I value that time with them. And then I respond and I ask you, when was the last time you took time off to spend with your family? And you tell me three years ago, I don't believe you. Right? If you tell me, Pastor, I value my health. And I say, well, then when was the last time you ate a salad? And you respond, what is a salad? <laughs> Get out. If you tell me I value my sleep and I ask you when was the last time you got eight hours of sleep and you tell me eight years ago, I don't believe you. Because what was true then is true now. Actions speak louder than words, and eventually people will see through the words. Church is not exempt from this. If anything, it's heightened. You've heard that word hypocrisy thrown around, right? We say one thing and then we do another thing. It's kind of a buzzword for uh, people who leave the church. You'll, it, it, if you've ever met somebody who's left the church, eventually after asking a few people, why did you leave? They say, I could not stand the hypocrisy any longer. What does that look like in church, right? We would say, Pastor, we are a church that values our youth. Oh, right, that's awesome. Who's your youth director? We don't have one. <laughs> then you don't value the youth. Pastor, we love our collegiate students. That's great. What are their names? I don't know. Then you do not value them. We value the local church and its mission. Great. Have you been giving financially to support that mission? No. Then you don't. Recently, two weeks ago, yeah, two weeks ago, I went and visited some friends down in Miami. I have now uh, pastor friends all over, really, the Southern Union. I have some that are other conferences, but really, Florida conferences like takes all my friends. I like it's it's been kind of nice actually. So I went and visited some friends in Miami, and uh, was able to preach down there and speak with them. Uh, but we stayed uh, in their house. Right when we got there, when Raquel and I got there, we had a room to ourselves. Wow, the room was clean. Amen. The bed was made. This friend of mine, she is a little extra. She even had a care package laid out for us. There was a note there on the bed. I'm so glad you guys are here. They took time out of their day. They are also pastors. It is a busy life. They took time out of their day to spend that time with Raquel and I. You could tell they valued our presence there because of the actions that followed the words. Are you following me? Maybe there's somebody here who will understand it like this. Had it been that when we got to the house, the room was a mess, the house was a mess, there was a spare room that was thrown together at the last minute, the, the fitted sheet was coming out, 
We got there and suddenly they said, it's nice to see you, but I got to go. And then come back and say, we've been so excited that you guys were here. What would you say to that? I would say, I don't believe you. Right? I couldn't tell. You see, we communicate things by our actions. We communicate things at church about the God we serve based on how we act. If the church is a mess structurally, physically, it communicates that we don't care. I, I've used this analogy before, but let's just say that the president of the United States, whichever one is your favorite in all of history, so I don't get in trouble, is coming to church. Right? Wouldn't you, wouldn't we pull out all the stops? Because that is a person of importance. Right? And this is your favorite president, so you value them. Right? Why is it that we do not do the same for God, the God of the whole universe who created you and me? Why do we not do that? This is important because going back to David, what he wanted to do to build a house for the Lord that was as close to equal of what God deserves as he could get here on earth is a very noble and objectively correct thing to do. David says, our values as a nation are not expressed when, we, when I get to live like this and God lives in a tent. As a king, I have to do something about this. And I believe the text doesn't necessarily say it explicitly that David went forth prayerfully about this decision, but I believe he did. Because the first person he tells that is recorded here is Nathan the prophet. Nathan, I want to do this thing for God. I want to build him a house that's worthy of who he is. And even Nathan's first reaction, because this is an objectively correct thing to do, Nathan's first thought was, do it. God is with you. He's been with you before and he'll be with you now. So go ahead and do what you need to do. And God turns around and says, verse 3, but that same night, the, not even 24 hours later, that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, it is not you who will build me a house to dwell in. God says no. And no is a hard word to hear. Why would God say no? Well, we read later on, we read uh, elsewhere in Scripture uh, 1 Chronicles 22, verse 7, it says, and this is David now talking to Solomon, my son, I wanted to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God. 
But David told him, But the Lord said to me, You have killed many men in the battles you have fought, and since you have shed so much blood in my sight, you will not be the one to build a temple in my name. How unfair is that? I imagine David was like, I didn't necessarily want to be that guy, but I had to be that guy. God, the first thing I did as anointed king was I had to kill a dragon who was besmirching your name. God, I've been doing this for you. It's not fair. Now that I want to do something peaceful, you tell me no. And God, it's objectively right. I don't understand. David could have easily, 100%, in fact, in, 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 in my weak state myself, it's probably what I would have done immediately following after and said, this can't be the Lord's will, Nathan. I don't understand, Nathan. It can't be the right thing. It, it's right. It's the right thing to do. On paper, I'm looking at it. I, don't, I, don't, I can't look at this any other way. Nathan, why not? Because you killed people. That's not fair. I'm trying to, I'm trying to do the right thing. David easily could have deemed this not the Lord's will. God, you've been with me from my rags to riches story. Lord, I was affirmed by Nathan. A no is an answer sometimes, though, right? I don't, we don't like them all the time, but a no is an answer. Dare I take it a step further? A no from the Lord is, in fact, the will of the Lord in your life. Let me clarify. Not everything is necessarily the Lord's will. Air quotes, right? For those who are listening uh, to the podcast or online and can't see me. What do I mean by that? Because you just said, well, you absolutely just contradicted yourself. I'll tell you, I'll mention it like this. When someone dies, that is not the Lord's will. The Lord did not create us to die. God is not sitting in heaven happy at our sufferings. That is not the Lord's will. Jesus hates death because, and that's because it is so opposite of who he is. God is love. Death is the opposite of that. It is separation. God hates death so much he defeated it on the cross. Death Terrible, terrible things that can happen to a person is not the Lord's, air quote, will. But everything we are told in Scripture works together for good when it is with God. Things, roadblocks, challenges as they may be, God can turn to good for His purposes to achieve his will on this planet. 
To say, to say that something is not the will of the Lord because it didn't work out the way you wanted it to, or because he just said no, has to be one of the top three most spiritually immature things you can say. Hands down. When the answer comes back, no, and you don't like it, and you say, and you reject it, and you throw it away and say, well, that's not the will of the Lord, that is creeping in spiritual immaturity. Because the Lord is not your vending machine. He is not your dopamine hit. But God is a God of promises. Let's read a few verses here together. We're going to skip over to verse 10, where God outlines a few things for David. He says, Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from uh, following the sheep to be prince over my people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a name like the name of the great ones of earth, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more, and violent men shall waste them no more as formerly. From the time I appointed judges over my people Israel, I will sub- and I will subdue. Uh, no. Yeah. From the time I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will subdue all your enemies. And then the verse on the screen, or the part of verse ten on the screen. Moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build you a house. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. Then or he shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you, but I will confirm Him in my house and in my kingdom forever. And his throne shall be established forever. The temple would be built. Just not by David. The temple was built, in fact, and it was beautiful. God says to David that I will establish your house. This is a play on words. Because as we understand a house, maybe like pictured here, a little you know, place to live, the Lord is speaking in a manner that says, I will establish your family. I will r- grow those roots down so deep, you will not be moved 
This is the same wording that the Lord speaks when he speaks to Abraham, right? Like, you'll be a father of many nations, right? You will, if Father Abraham had many sons, that's this kind of talk. This is covenant talk. God says to David, you want to build me a house? I'm going to build your house, your lineage, your legacy. You, or I'm going to do things in my timing. God's no here, as David is saying, this is something I want to do. This is something that is objectively right to do. God's response, no, is pivotal for the reign of David. God's greater plan, the larger plan, it establishes the kingdom for generations and generations to come. You see, David was focused on the immediate felt needs, while God's intentions for David was to secure a future. Many times we are concerned with things that are happening now because it hurts now and it doesn't feel good now. Our current feelings, our predicament, it, it, it bends, you know, we go where we need to go to alleviate the pain. But God sees the whole picture, the whole thing. This is, yes, God is talking to David to say, listen, after you there'll be a son, and then he'll have a son, and then he'll have a son. But this is covenant language. This is also prophetic language. Jesus comes from the line of David. If you go to the beginning of Matthew, and many times we go to read that, and it's like, ooh, this guy begot this guy, and then begot, 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 and you're like, ah, I'll just skip to chapter 2. But if you stick with it, you see that Jesus Christ himself comes from the line of David, which was established here. This is the most pivotal no in the history of no's. This no saved you and saved me. Maybe David understood, yeah, that, that God is talking about a Messiah. Maybe, maybe David understood. Maybe he didn't. But the response of David his felt needs, his feelings in that moment were probably a mixture of discouragement and sadness because he wanted to do something. And God said, no. His response could have been one of frustration or doubt. Maybe he would say to himself, if I had more faith leading up to this moment, then maybe he would have said yes. If I had more faith right now, maybe I could push through and it would be okay. When a door closes and we try to push it, kick it, break it down with faith, that is not faith. David's response was in fact a praise to the Lord. Verse 26 says, And now, O Lord, among many other things, by the way, that David says a lot here in response to God. 
But we're going we're gonna to focus on the last two verses. It says, and now, O Lord, you are God. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now you have been pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever before you. For it is you, O Lord, who have blessed, and it is blessed forever. There's something interesting about what David does next. Does anybody know what David did next? He doesn't just say, well, God said no. So... That's for somebody else to figure out. David began to gather, to save all manners of, of, of wood and stone and gold. They blew up the storehouses, preparing for a promise he would never see. That's faith. God looks you in the face and says no. And you say, well, I'll continue on as planned then. I'll continue on with my life as you see fit, Lord. And if it's not for me to do, may I at least begin to cultivate and to bless that next generation of people who will see that promise fulfilled. That's faith. When it hurts so bad and you want to be the one to see it, but you save up for someone else's blessing, that is faith. In the face, in the face of a no, he leaned on the promise of God that he wouldn't see. Hebrews, the famous verse, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. God, I want to build your temple. No. Not you, someone else. David is assured that it will happen. The assurance of things hoped for. I hope that this will happen. I believe that it will happen. And so I work in accordance with your will, Lord. The conviction of things not seen. David did not see the temple completed. It wasn't for him. But he kept on going. How easy it could have been to push forward with his own agenda and claim that he was in fact doing the will of the Lord because in his eyes it was objectively correct. But David took the no. He had assurance of what he hoped for. He had convictions of things he wouldn't see. The scriptures tell us that the Lord works all things together for good. Amen? Amen. Even? No. The temple was built. 
It was. It was beautiful. Guess what happened to it? It got destroyed. Burned to a crisp. Even after destruction. That's about as no as it can get. Something you built, you worked for, you wanted, and it blows up in your face. But guess what they did? They built it again. Came back. Even after destruction, the Lord was faithful to his promise. The temple was destroyed because of Israel's disobedience. Babylon came in, took over everything, took people as slaves. They were dispersed across the entire known world. It was their fault. But God was still faithful. After a time, it comes back, and it's nice, and it, it's clean, and it's new, and it's beautiful. And then guess what happens to that one? Destroyed. Just because things rise and fall doesn't mean that the Lord's ultimate will will not be accomplished in his people. Jesus walking with, with a group of people and he makes this comment to them that they are like, what are you talking about? In fact, it makes people angry. He says this temple, you know how beautiful it is, how nice it is? Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. People are like, do you know how long? <laughs> do you know how long it took us to put this thing together, man? What are you talking about? Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. Thing. There are good moments, there are bad moments, and everything in between. But what we can take from the words of Jesus, destroy this temple, three days, I will raise it up, that the, the temple, right, this, this house that will be established, that will, be, that will go throughout all of history, that will never be changed, that will never be moved, was fulfilled through Christ. Ultimately, put your faith in Jesus and it's going to be okay. You may not like it along the way. It may not feel good. In fact, you may be justifiably angry. But the Lord's will continues on. It will be okay. The young man, Dad, I want a car. No, you can't have a car. Dad, I want a car. No, you cannot have a car. The boy's birthday comes. It's like, you know, it's like, uh, it's not even a happy birthday because I'm upset. Boom, right? He doesn't want to really do anything. He's, he's not feeling the whole thing. But the boy's birthday comes and he sees 
that his dad has this smile, his mom has this smile. He's like, okay, what's going on here? They're like, come on, come on, we want to show you something. And outside, just like one of those Christmas commercials with a bow on top, is a brand new car. A brand new car. And the dad looks at the son, it's like, you wanted to buy that old junker. I kept telling you no, and you kept getting mad, and I just, <laughs> right? Has anybody ever felt that way with your kids or with somebody else? You're trying, to, you're trying to do something that they can't see. They can see this much of the story while you see this much, and you wish that you could just explain, but it's not the right time to explain. But the blessing in the end was much better than the blessing you could see in that moment. That was the case for the boy. Whatever is happening in your life right now, you've been told no. You're upset. It may not make sense now. You may not like it. In fact, you might hate it. But his plans, the Lord's plans and purposes for you are better than you can imagine on your own. The Lord does work all things together for good, even a no. You may not see it immediately. You might not see it this year, this decade. You may pass away and never see that good fulfilled in your lifetime. But at the end, when you can go back and say, God, what was the point of that? And he, with a smile on his face, will, will point to some other time in history and show you that's why. This is how I took a bad situation and worked it out for good. I know you were upset with me at that time and you, you just felt like something was off. And I, but look. Look at what even I, look what I can do with a bad situation. The Lord is continually faithful to his promises. And his promises to you and his church are no exception. Let's bow our heads. Dear Jesus, please. God, humble us. Lord, please. Please, I'm asking you to make it a little bit easier for those of us that it's possible. Help us understand, God. God, I pray that your will be done. God, even if I don't get it, even if I don't like it, God, may your will be done in this place, in these lives in this community, in this church, God, help us. Thank you so much for the sacrifices you've made. God, thank you. Thank you that you hate death. Thank you that you have made a way that we will never have to experience pain and suffering again. God, may that context flow out into our life God, may we have peace that passes understanding. 
in all that we do. I pray in your name. Amen.